Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, we are just incredibly honored that you've joined us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm John Russin. I'm the host, and I'm here with my dearest friend of, from decades past, uh, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, John. Uh, God is good, even though the world is not, and uh, that means I'm good. <laughs> That's right. Well, so. friends, if you've caught us for the first time, we are in the middle of our current series on Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And we've chosen that because it just highlights the incredible truth of the preeminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've been talking through chapter two, and we're talking through verse eight, verse nine, verse 10. And if you've listened last time, you caught us just in an incredible worship experience, Frank and I together, just totally stunned by the truth of who Jesus is and who he is in us and through us to others. And Frank, before we begin, you talked about a song that you heard recently, and you were planning to use that in an upcoming sermon series, but it fits so well into what we're talking about in the worship, you know, our spontaneous worship of, of our Savior based on what we read in his scripture. Would you please mm -hmm. unpack that for our listeners today? You know, John, last time we were together, we were both put to tears contemplating who Jesus is in the glory of his resurrection and who we are in him. And we were both stunned to tears. And I just wanted to share, we brought up some thoughts from the book of Revelation as I've been studying that book, and I'm going to do a series on it in September at Grace Life Fellowship. And I've chosen a song that we're going to use as a theme song every Sunday. It's called Be Unto Your Name, but it's the kid's version. <laughs> Appropriate. You know, we got to become like a child. But Janet gave it to me, and I struggle through it. Every time I, I try to sing along, I get about a third of the way through, and, and I can't get the words out. And then I just, the tears come, and, and I'm done. So I told her. I said, baby, I can't sing that song. I can't get through the tears. And she said, well, that's because your tears are the praise language of heaven. And, you know, being a theologian, I quickly corrected her. And said, <laughs> you know, yeah, that goes over so well, usually. <laughs> in the book of Revelation, uh, he wipes away our tears. And she said, well, Lamb, you've taught me for all these years that the number one rule of interpretation is context. And the context of that passage is hurt and pain. And so when he wipes away the tears, it's the hurt and the pain. So he doesn't say anything about tears in heaven. I think those will continue as the praise language of heaven. And I said, well, what about our creation of tears in our eyes, tear ducts? I've always taught that that's to release the pent up pain and sorrow. And she said, well, those tear ducts were in our eyes before the fall. And I said, 
And, and she and. said, <laughs> she said, I believe that Adam and Eve expressed their praise through the tears of the awe and wonder of the love of God and the intimacy they have with God. As they were stunned, they shed tears. Wow. And I had to, in my heart and mind, say, well, I guess she's right. So <laughs> I'm actually going to write a devotional on that. And I think you and I experienced it last time, yeah. John. That wasn't sorrow and pain in either of us as we were just contemplating Jesus and who he is and all that he's done for us and in us. And the tears spontaneously yeah. came to you and to me. And as we were stunned and in our stunned state, those tears were an expression of worship. Amen. They certainly were. And I think what blew me away from my end, Frank, is that as we're reading these verses, you know, we're completely filled in him. He is the head of all rule and authority. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. That wasn't just a list of Jesus' resume entries. They're listed here, but the apostle lists them here within a context. And that is, starting in verse 8, we got to navigate this life, and it can get hard sometimes. You know, people, the enemy is always trying to trick us and steer us off course. And all this about Christ in us is true because these are all tools. So while we can praise them that they're true, I rejoice because this truth has a functionality. I can use it to change how I live, change how I feel, change how I think, change how I choose, change how I treat others. And change how I face the challenges the enemy throws in my path. So mm. not only are they glorious, my friend, but they are really great tools. And I'm a tool guy, and I can spot a good tool a mile away. And these are just incredibly useful, aren't they? Yeah, John, you know, I guess I'd put it this way. In the world we live in, we need bigger, stronger, better. But we don't have to look outside. We already have bigger, stronger, better inside where God lives in us. And I would say that he is every tool in the toolbox and he is also the toolbox. Amen. It's all in him, from him, through him. And he's all, he's everything. And we get to not only know about him, but experience him in our lives. That's wow. right. And let's keep on that in him role, my friend. We're going to jump into verse 11 of chapter two. And again, reading from the English standard version, my newest favorite in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, before we talk about circumcision made without hands and circumcision of Christ, Frank, let's spend just a moment talking about circumcision. As we know, this was given to Abraham as a sign of his covenant with, between God and him. The circumcision was an act of Moses. That's what the Jews calls it, but it goes way back before the law. And it was given with a unique purpose. So, Frank, unpack mm. for us, why did God give circumcision way back in Genesis to Abraham? Mm. Well, you know, John, I think this is something we need to meditate on and dive deep into because God never does anything haphazardly. Uh, he does things with purpose. 
it's circumcising the male genital organ. And this, of course, set the Jews apart uh, from any other nation in the world, that they had received the revelation of God. But I think we need to ponder this a little deeper, and, and not in a perverse way or anything like that. But that organ becomes or is the means of birthing life. And I think there's a message there. As the covenant people who are receiving life from God and the promise of new birth in God, that was the reason that part of the anatomy was chosen. And it was to take off an earthly portion of it as a reminder that there would come a spiritual portion that would be cut off. In other words, the Adamic nature, the sin nature we had received from Adam was one day going to be cut off from us, taken out of us. And there would be a birth provided. There would be life provided, a seed, just like in a physical intimate relationship a seed, we would get a spiritual seed that would birth spiritual life. Boy, there's a lot there, John, if we would just think about it. That's right. You know, when God gave that to Abraham, when you read that portion of scripture in Genesis, there isn't any explanation. It's just mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And it's not until hundreds of years later in fact, I looked up the verses, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, and this is what is written there. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart mm. and the heart of your descendants so that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. So this thing of circumcision, while it was just an initial token, a badge, was more than that. It was a promise. It was like a first step, like a pledge, like an earnest that you would eventually see a circumcision of heart, an mm. act done by God on his people that would draw them to him. Mm. Uh, so it, it's a promise given that Abraham didn't give any indication that he understood it, but it was unpacked, I don't know how many, four, five, six hundred years later. When Moses wrote Deuteronomy chapter 30, it began to be unpacked so they can see beyond just the sign. You know, when Jesus mm. talks about us, show you a sign, they can look beyond the sign and see the deeper truth behind it. And you mentioned the cutting off. You know, when you cut off that part of the organ, it's a complete severance. Mm. It's not left in pieces there. It's just gone. And I like to think of it as a picture that God is promising that one day we will be cut off from sin's power over us. We'd be free completely from sin's control over us, that all the condemnation and all the baggage, the guilt and the shame and the fear, that we're cut free from that. Mm. And all this occurs the moment we trusted Christ as our Savior and received his life. 
Mm. So I think it's really neat that he unpacks the token, the uh, the sign way back in Abraham's time. He expands on it in Moses' time, and it comes to fruition in the time of Jesus. Wow. Pretty cool, yeah. man. It is incredibly cool, John. And it's interesting, but you know, again, about another 700 years plus after Moses says that in Deuteronomy, we have Ezekiel 36 where he spelled it out. I'm going to take away that old stony heart and give you a new heart. And I guess, John, you know, the sad thing is you just said it. It's all been done in Christ. And the moment we put our faith in him, since power is gone, since control is gone, our old heart is gone, severed completely. And yet, sadly, John, so many Christians quote Jeremiah 17, 9. Oh, yes. I heard it just last oh, week. It made me cry. Yeah. Which says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful beyond all things. John, we had that heart, but in Christ, we don't have it anymore. And here's the thing we need to understand. I want to put it in a catchphrase for our listeners. Not everything in the Bible is Christian. Uh, sacrifices are biblical. Sacrifices aren't for Christians. <laughs> the sacrifice yeah. has already been made. So when it's a desperately sinful, wicked, deceitful heart, that's what it was. It's not what it is now. You know, John, that's why this ministry exists. We want to declare the finished work of Christ in such a way, clear, concise, powerful in its own simplicity. I had a guy, John, and I thought we put this in our books, Done by Grace. And I was talking with him. He's been a Christian for 40 years. He reads his Bible faithfully. He serves in the church. He's a, he's a great Christian man. And I asked him, is your heart desperately wicked and deceitful? And he said, oh, yes, it is. And I said, well, what about Ezekiel 36 in the New Covenant? It says you have a new heart. He said, well, that's true, too. I said, wait a minute, sir, you can't have two hearts. So is your heart desperately wicked and deceitful or is it brand new? And he said, both. Hmm. And John, that's such a tragedy. But this is what's happening in Christianity all over the world. We're not understanding that God works in covenants and the new has made us new. And we have broken from the old and our old nature, our sinful heart, we're cut off, taken away, and we are brand new. That's right. Paul tells us, my friend in Romans, that our old man is dead. It's not like, uh, do you remember Miracle Max? Yours in my favorite movie, The Princess Bride. <laughs> Miracle Max, oh, he's not completely dead. He's only mostly dead. No, my friend, he is completely dead. And listeners... Frank and I don't really have a lot of time to unpack this now, but we direct you to a previous podcast series, probably last year or so, called Law and Grace, where we spent 10 weeks, 12 weeks, unpacking all of the truths of our identity in Christ. So we direct you there for a very thorough discussion of all that Christ did to crucify us and resurrect us to new life with him. Mm. 
pretty cool stuff. And my friends, that leads us into the very next verse, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, I want to go forward and uh, highlight the verb tenses first, Frank, before I turn this over to you. (laughs) Having been buried. Okay, sounds like Mm. past tense to me. We were also raised. That sounds like past tense too. And this is the litmus test. Hey, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, and we know that was a one-time past event. So also in the very same way, we have been crucified, we have been buried, and we have been raised. So the tenses are plain. This is a one-time past event. As much in the past as Jesus' resurrection was in the past. Okay, that's what the words mean. But Frank, what does it really mean for us to be buried and to be raised? Well, John, this comes back to that phrase we pointed out last week, that if our listeners have been with us for any length of time, they'll know we point out all the time, the glory of being in him. We see it in verse 9, we are in him. In verse 10, in him. Verse 11, in whom. The great theme of the New Testament is that we are in Christ. And for our listeners, we teach it as the theology of in. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, if I take a pen and put it in a bag and zip up the bag, and then I pick up the bag and put it on my desk... I could say to you, the pen is on my desk because it's in the bag. Without touching the pen, I pick up the bag and I put it over on the bookshelf. Where's the pen now? Well, it's on the bookshelf. But wait a minute. I never touched the pen. And yet the pen moved from my desk to the bookshelf. Why? Because it's in the bag. And here's what the theology of Ian means. Whatever happens to that bag happens to that pen that's in the bag. And so it is with you and I. We are in Christ. And whatever happened to Jesus happened to us. When he got crucified, we got crucified. When he got buried, we got buried. And the great glory, when he rose from the dead in the power of the resurrection to live resurrection life, we rose from the dead to live in the present of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as we face this world. And John, as you pointed out, every one of those things is past tense, except the experience of living the resurrection life now that we lay hold of by faith. That's right. Glory. Um, And you know, my friend, as I've visited a lot of churches over the years, many people, don't understand this. And so they tend to look at our spiritual resurrection, despite the plainness of scripture, as something we'll receive at some unknown future time. Maybe after we die and go to heaven, or maybe when our bodies are resurrected, they don't really know when. But the cool part, my friend, is that as believers in Christ, We were co-crucified with him. We were co-resurrected with him the very moment we trusted him as Savior. And while all that's true, the most impactful part for me 
is that it means something. Remember last time we were talking about the fact that all these in hymns are not just a list on Jesus' resume. They are tools. They're useful things for us. And so this is a tool to help me understand that I don't have to live the way I used to live. I can choose to live differently. I can choose to treat others with unconditional love. I can give it. I can receive it. I can walk in peace and joy and rest. And I could have every single facet of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, not because I work at it, but because the one who is all those things lives in me and he will be all those things in me and through me to others. So this is where all of these truths about being in him, where they really hit the pavement, my friend, because they make it possible to live lives we have never imagined we could live before. Wow. Mm. Yes, John, he is, as we'll see when we get to chapter three, he is our life. That's why it's called abundant life. That's why in Romans 5, we get saved by his life. We get him and all that he is living in and through our very own lives. And his is a multifaceted life. That's why there is only one fruit of the spirit, not fruits, but the fruit, but it's multifaceted. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. And even that is not an exhaustive list. That's right. Um, it's the sampling that makes us go, oh, my goodness. I am in union with my creator, God of the universe. And everything he is, he is to me in the moment of faith. And I get to experience who he is and express who he is. And like you said, John, live the kind of life we always wanted to live, but we're powerless to do before. And you know, friends, listening to this conversation between Frank and me, this is basically the crux of every conversation, quote unquote, counseling conversation we've ever had with anybody over the years, because people get into struggle because they're not living according to who they are or who lives in them. And so mm. when you deal with them, more often than not, the issues are simply just their lies. They're, what they're expressing is not the true them. And basically, a lot of the time, it's holding their hand to show them the truth about who they are as Christians, who Christ is in them, and who he wants to be through them to correct Every manner. Remember Galatians chapter five, the works of the flesh are contrasted plainly with the fruit of the spirit. And so the mm. spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, love of chocolate and self-control. That's one I <laughs> added in at the end. Uh, all of that is what we need so that we don't walk after the flesh. It's, it's, it's so incredibly simple, but where the rubber meets the road sometimes can get messy, as we know, Frank. And sometimes mm -hmm. we need to hold some people's hands and, uh, and unpack with them the lies that they believed. You know, destroy the arguments we saw in 2 Corinthians 10 last time. We can pick apart those lies and show them where they're chewing on a hollow bunny, where there's no substance. When you know that you have the riches of Christ already, that's when you recognize there's no need to looking for riches 
that are not really riches and will never satisfy. And, you know, this is sadly the state of so many Christians, so many pastors, so many teachers, is they're trying to be behavior modificationists instead of resurrectionists. I don't ever make it my goal to change behavior. We make it our goal to lead people to the life that can be experienced and expressed through them. And that will alter their behavior. <laughs> Indeed, it will. You know, I want to go back and, and reread verse 12. Mm -hmm. um, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him in the powerful working of God. And, and, and what's the example of what the powerful working of God looks like? It's Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead as well. So the same life that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Right? Mm. I, I can't get past that. Mm. That same life is in us. And so often I, I plow through my days and the truth of that just goes right over my head until every once in a while, Father stops me and says, hey, you know, this is what my life looks like in this situation. And so this is just staggering. It's beyond stunning. It's staggering mm. when you think about the power that raised Jesus from the dead that no one has ever done before. Mm. Not just come back to life because Lazarus did that, you know, not just come back to life, but we've been raised with an entirely new life. Wow. I just, mm. I just shiver when I think about it, my friend. Yes, John. It's, you know, in Romans, in the parallel passage, he says we get to walk in the newness of life. It's a brand new life. It's a, an otherworldly life. It's, it's that old hymn, heaven came down and glory, the glory of God has filled my soul. It is staggering. John, I, I do think we need to address for our listeners that word baptism, because, uh, so many people still focusing on what they need to do that they miss what God has done. And a lot of people could look at that and think, oh, I've got to go get baptized or baptism's going to accomplish a great work for me. We need to translate the word and it means being immersed into or identified with. And so we were buried by identifying with Jesus. We were uh, buried with him by virtue of our being immersed into Jesus. There's that phrase, in him, in Christ. And that's why, John, we baptize as believers by immersion. And again, I don't want to get off onto a huge distraction here. I really believe you know, if you want to sprinkle in baptism or poor, that, that's fine. I think the main issue is the heart that you're going to do what Jesus said, believe and be baptized. But the best way I believe biblically is the immersion because you go under the water and that pictures your burial. And then you come out of the water and that's symbolic of your resurrection. And that's, you know, it's funny, John, we had a good friend, you knew him, Juan Carlos Ortiz. And you know, when I baptize, I say, I pronounce you dead in Christ, and I put them under the water. And I say, and I pronounce you resurrected in Christ as they come out of the water. When Carlos used to say, I kill you in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, yeah, he, it, it, it gets the point across, my friend. He wanted the believer 
to know they had died. That's right. You know, John, you, we want the believer to know they've died because you can't have a resurrection without a death. Years ago at Grace Life, I don't know if you remember this, uh, you might have been in Illinois at that time on a hiatus. But one day we did Sunday morning worship and we had a casket in there. And I preached a memorial service. And I talked about the former life of this person. And then I talked about how they had died. And I didn't talk about the new life. And I said, we're going to talk about this person further. But first, we need to pay our respects to this person that has died. In the casket, we invited people to come and pass by. We had put a mirror. <laughs> Mm. so that when they looked at the casket, they saw themselves. And that's what we did on a Sunday morning. Hopefully, the people that were in attendance never forgot the gospel, that it's not just that Jesus died for their sins so they can go to heaven, but that they died and then were resurrected so that heaven and the person of Christ could come and live inside of them. That's right. You know, my friend, one last point before we wrap this up. The thief on the cross didn't get a chance to be baptized. Mm. And so that's okay. The point I'm trying to make is that while baptism by immersion does picture what happened to us very clearly, it's not an obligation. It's not mm. the new circumcision. Mm -mm. It's simply a reflection of the truth that's happened. So if you said, yes, sir, to Jesus, and that's mm -hmm. my way of saying, I trust you as Savior. Yes, sir, I trust you. Then you are instantly immersed in Jesus Christ. The baptism under the water or the sprinkling or whichever way you choose it is simply an outward expression of what's already happened. And if you suddenly were to be taken home between when you trusted Christ and when you got a chance to be baptized, like the thief on the cross, guess what? <laughs> you are still immersed in Jesus and nothing mm. has changed. You know, John, I think we should do this based on what you just said. The thief on the cross, the moment he said, remember me in your kingdom, that was the expression of faith. He was instantly buried with Jesus through identifying with him. And I believe in anticipation of the resurrection, which we know was planned before the foundation of the world, very likely the next hour or two before that thief died, he lived in the power of the resurrection as he faced that cross. Mm. Interesting you know, thought. You know, my friend, there's a lot about baptism. Maybe next episode we can pick up here in verse 12 and unpack that a little bit further. Mm. What do you say? Well, friends, we're just about out of time now. And so uh, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We trust that Father has ministered life to you today as we've been chatting our way through the epistle to the Colossians. Uh, please uh, do us an honor. Check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. Drop us an email. Let us hear from you. We'd love to hear what's going on in your life. We'd love to get a chance to pray for you. On that website, you'll see a bunch of articles, some devotionals, some ebooks, newsletters, things like that, that uh, all center on Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and most importantly, our very life. We'd love to hear from you as well. Check out our social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram. We've got a YouTube channel. Please subscribe, ring the bell. Uh, we'd love to minister to you in that way as well. 
And of course, we ask you to prayerfully uh, lift us up before our Father, because without your prayers and without your financial support, uh, we don't proceed. So this all depends on, on Father working through the lives of his saints to bring the truth of Jesus Christ as life to the church. So basically, we're evangelizing the church. So thanks for being a partner with us. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, a living hope, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.